When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Jordan Gonsalves, and I'm a journalist. Join me on my new podcast, But We Loved, where queer elders recount the amazing history they've lived through. In the middle of Wall Street, they stopped traffic. They were doing a die-in. And in the process, share little gems of wisdom for the next generation. The key is to understanding yourself, learning to love and embrace yourself. You can listen to But We Loved on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Scott. And I'm Ben. And uh, I guess this is car stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're here with our super producer, uh, 29 or less, Noel Brown. 29 or less? Uh-huh. Really? That's just a nickname. Okay. <laughs> I don't I don't know how he got that one. I don't know what that means, but uh, we'll find out later off air. How about that? All right. So today, <laughs> we are talking about a uh, an unusual record. Yeah, yeah. A very unusual record. One that uh, maybe is just kind of on the... Uh, on the perimeter of, uh, of of car guys knowledge because they sometimes know you know what's going on with this and sometimes they don't because uh this record that we're going to talk about today will sometimes go for decades without being broken so the record may stand for you know 20 years may stand right. for 30 years yep. 40 years mm-hmm. at a time uh before it's, it's broken or in this case shattered uh mm-hmm. as we're going to talk about today but um it's one that um i'd say most people are just kind of unaware of this record yeah, that's that's true, uh, and it's and it's not surprising as we find out because there is a little bit of secrecy and subterfuge that goes into today's topic. It's not necessarily legal. That's the problem. It's yeah, it's 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 not legal. It's not legal, yeah, not by <laughs> any means. So today we're going to talk about uh, what is known as the uh, the Cannonball Run, or um, I think there's other terms for it that we'll, we'll come across here, but sure. um, it's basically a Trans American Crossing record. It's the it's the time it takes you to drive a set route from, uh, I believe it's in Manhattan, to uh, Redondo Beach, California, the uh-huh. specific location in each place to, uh, you know, to, uh, to make that journey in a record amount of time. It's always a timed event. And then they calculate kind of the average speed based on that. And uh, there's a lot of interesting stuff to go with this. But can I tell you how I, I came up with this idea for a topic? Because this is one of my own. Oh, yeah, please do. All because right. uh, this, at first, this was one of those stories that, now, you know, I, you're an honest guy. You're a straight shooter. Mm-hmm. This is a story where I thought, really? Did this really happen? Oh, well, it's true. And I, I, I probably have a photo somewhere on my phone of this, but, mm-hmm. uh, but, but as you read the story, didn't you realize that, okay, it's probably telling me the truth? Yeah. Uh, cause we'll, yeah. we'll get to the point here that, that it all makes sense. But, um, okay. Here's how it happened. A couple of weekends ago, I was, uh, I was, you know, cruising around town, just driving and I decided, well, it's, it's Sunday. Uh, the Lamborghini dealer, the local Lamborghini dealer, is mm-hmm. closed down. And that's a perfect time for me to go and look because I can't pull in there in my beat-up old Honda and have any kind of respect given to me when, you know, the uh, if I'm walking around on the lot checking out the cars, right? Right. And I'm sure that happens probably 20 times a day there, but I feel uncomfortable doing that. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. I'd rather wait until there's no sales staff or anything like that present. Just go there and just have the time to look around and not be worried about all that stuff. Right, right. All right, so. It's Sunday afternoon, and I'm kind of poking around the lot there and looking at windows and stuff. There's a few other people there with me, and I decide to make my way to the back of the building where they have, you know, some of the customers' cars and some of the project vehicles that they have Mm -hmm, back there. mm -hmm. And on the side of the building, 
I spotted a uh, an old Mercedes, a four-door Mercedes. And I think it was kind of like a blue-green color. I, now that I'm thinking about it, it was like a, a bluish color. Nothing really special, but as I got closer to it, and I thought, well, that's kind of a strange car to see here, but I got closer to it, and on the trunk, so not even on the doors, but on the trunk, so that you had to be right over top of it to, to read it, mm. it said something about, like, uh, and I, I'll just paraphrase this, it was like the, the Cannonball Run Sea to Shining Sea record holder 2013. It was a big black decal on the, on the trunk, and I thought, well, yeah. that's really un- unusual. So I started to look around the car a little bit more carefully, and I checked inside, looked in the looked in the window, and the dash is just loaded with extra devices, extra um, holders for devices. The right, devices yeah. themselves weren't necessarily there, but there's extra screens, extra switches, mm-hmm. extra toggles. Um, the, the, the center console didn't look quite right. There's something about it. You know, it's a little different. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think I snapped a photo, but then I went back, you know, home and I did a quick, you know, internet search for the, um, <laughs> for the, uh, for that vehicle, for that specific vehicle. Uh-huh. And I, I came across this story. That car, as it turns out, is the world record holder right now, currently, for the Cannonball Run, the Sea to Shining Sea Trophy record, or whatever you want to call it. We'll, we'll get a few different names for it here. But, yeah. But that car, for whatever reason, is here in Atlanta, and we do know the reason, but um, <laughs> I, it was so unusual to just run across this thing sitting in a back lot getting covered with leaves, you know, and uh, it was just out in the elements. It wasn't like in a museum or something. Right. Um, it's just out in the elements. And it has been out in the elements for 2,813 miles of American roadway, which mm-hmm. is the, the length of this cannonball run. Uh, if you would like to place a guess on how long it took him, listeners, uh, feel free. We'll wait just a second. Uh, we gave you a hint at the opening of the show. They've already looked it up, I'm sure. Oh, I hope so, because <laughs> it's impressive. Uh, Ed Bolian, uh, the no relation. Uh, he took this car with some buddies uh, from New York to Los Angeles in 28 hours and 50 minutes. 28 hours and 50 minutes. That's so less than 29 hours on a trip that, uh, you know, if you type this into Google Maps, it'll tell you that <laughs> yeah, it takes, yeah. takes more than 40 hours to make this trip. And you know how that works. I mean, you type right. it in, it says 40 hours. Well, then you got to calculate in your fuel stops, your, your mm-hmm. uh, you know, stopping for uh, bathroom, sure. stopping for, uh, you know, Food, of course, yeah, things like that. Construction, yeah, traffic, traffic, all that stuff that all plays into into it. And of course, a forty-hour trip. I mean, let's let's be serious. You're going to be stopping overnight, maybe even twice yeah. during that trip, yeah. or maybe three times during that trip. You're going to be stopping somewhere to sleep, mm-hmm. um, making a journey of it. But these guys did it in one straight shot, less than twenty-nine hours, and it's an amazing story. Yeah, and uh, we are going to tell you this. Other part, though, that you that you should know is that the previous record uh, did not get did not get close to this. No, that's right. They shattered the record because, um, you know, we just said that it was re- broken big time. Right. I yeah. believe. And I just looked this up. I think it took it was two hours and 14 minutes faster than the previous record holder. Now, when the record has been broken in the past, it's been broken by a few minutes here and there. Yeah. And. When we go back in time, because I'm going to give you a list of, uh, you know, in just a moment here, I'm going to go give you a list of the history of this record. And it does go back to, you know, where it's it's double the amount of time that it took right now. Right. Uh, but we're going back to the 1930s at that point, prior to the creation of the, the interstate system here in the United States. So that gives you an idea of, of how quickly this record progresses. I mean, and again, it, it'll go for decades without people breaking it. Mm-hmm. But every year there's maybe, you know, five to ten people that attempt it but you just don't hear about it. Right. And you can't really publicize this because I know uh, you guys listening out there who already drive professionally uh, from one end of the country to another, mm-hmm. you know that the kind of speed you have to maintain to hit that kind of record is above the limit. Okay. I'll give you an example. The, the average speed for this record that we're talking about, and this isn't giving anything away, the average speed is 98 miles per hour, average, from <laughs> Manhattan all the way to Redondo Beach. Now, that's average. Now, they, we'll talk about the GPS system and all that, but yeah. they, I think the maximum speed they reached on this trip was something like 158 miles per hour, according to the GPS. Mm-hmm. Um, other teams have attempted this and got gotten a a slower time, you know, but also a record time. Well, they were exceed, but they were exceeding 200 miles per hour at some points on this trip. So you get the idea that this is a, this is a pretty intense record to break. It's very difficult to maintain 98 miles per hour 
and factor in fuel stops and and mm-hmm. stuff like and bathroom stops because they did stress even this trip there was a there were there were, I think forty six minutes where the car was not moving so you know that meant that they were they were fueling up right which is a process and all on its own as we'll talk about um, or they were stopping for the restroom stops or just you know um, maybe they were stopped in construction or traffic or whatever yeah but only forty six minutes out of that twenty nine hours and fifty minutes that it took were they were they stopped so the actual drive time. Was uh, I guess twenty nine hours and uh, four minutes? Is that right? Yeah, if you if you take out the other uh, forty six, I guess that's right. Yeah. yeah. All right. So it, interesting. I mean, just just ponder that for a few moments. What it's like to drive ninety eight miles per hour for thirty hours? I well, twenty nine hours. It's it sounds kind of fun. Uh, it does. Now, yeah. Now, did Ed drive continually? Uh, he did not. No, there was a co-driver, which we'll talk about too. And, uh, there was also passenger, which we're going to get to. Yeah. Um, and all three played a very important role, but it was Ed's dream. It was Ed's idea to do this. And it's one that he had thought about since he was about 18, according to this article. We're, we're kind of following along with a Jalopnik article. Yeah. And, uh, as a matter of fact, here's how close the, uh, the Jalopnik folks are to, to Ed. Um, the author of this article, his name is Doug DeMuro, uh, was, uh, I guess I want to say propositioned, I guess, but he was uh, he was asked by Ed if he would be a co-driver on this trip ah. at one point, and he had to turn him down. He said, uh, you know, it's just not worth the risk at this time. So uh, there is a, a definite Jalopnik tie-in uh, with this record. So let's uh, let's kind of get into the story here. Yeah. Finally, right? Uh, we're 10 <laughs> minutes in, but um, I think it's an interesting background, too. Um, the car he chose to do it in, as I mentioned, was nothing really all that special. I mean, and it's kind of it is, but it's not intended to uh, to garner extra attention from the police. Ah, that's a very good point. That's a Mercedes CL fifty five, and it wasn't chosen because of its top speed, which a lot of people would say, "Well, why why don't you get a faster car?" It's chosen for very different reason, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. The fuel, or the active suspension, I should say, maybe. Yeah. Um. It, now that's a two thousand four Mercedes Benz CL fifty five, and it was an AMG model, so of course you know it's a strong car. Um. And the previous record was set in something like a two thousand BMW M five, uh, by Alex Roy. And Alex Roy, he's an interesting character too. He's the one that uh, that wrote that book, The Driver. Um, we'll talk about Alex as we get to it here too. All right. Man, there's so many side stories to this thing. <laughs> it's kind of an exciting story, but, uh, again, he shattered this record. Um, uh-huh. the previous record was 31 hours and 17 minutes. Uh-huh. And, uh, here he does it in less than 29. And, uh, there were a lot of people that, that questioned how he did it. Um, right. How did you shave off? these excess hours, pretty much three hours. How did you cut that? Yeah, I know. And, and, and the math, everybody says the math just doesn't work out, but I think it's just continuous motion. I mean, they had, they had everything going for them. Mm-hmm. And as we get to the point where we talk about the, uh, the actual run itself, that'll all kind of come in, you know, come into focus. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Ed, the reason that this car was parked at uh, Lamborghini of Atlanta yeah. was because Ed is the uh, sales director for Lamborghini of Atlanta, or at least he was in 2013. I don't know if his title has changed now at this point, but mm-hmm. he's described as uh, as by this author as as a polite guy, eager to please demeanor is what he has, and he says he teaches Sunday school with his wife. Pretty much, um, <laughs> this is maybe a funny way to say it, but he's kind of a, uh, he said, you know, you could you could meet him on an airplane, and by the time you pick up your bags, you forget who he was. Really, he's just kind of he's kind of blends into the crowd. He's just a, but he's a happy guy. Uh huh. Um, you know, again, very driven apparently. Yeah, and seems like oh, driven, and yeah. uh, also uh, not the kind of guy you would expect to break a law. No, right? no, and he's only at the time he was only twenty seven years old. Yeah, I, that's I crazy. I believe he's twenty nine now. Uh-huh. He's twenty seven years old. Um, again. Uh, sales director for Lamborghini. I think he's owned several exotic vehicles himself, and uh, you know he's uh, he's definitely a car guy by all means. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But now he's this record holder of this kind of obscure uh, fastest lap across America record, and he's wanted to do that for a long time. I think he says uh, in the Jalopnik article, he says he's wanted to break this record since he was 18 years old. Hmm. 18. That's a that's a uh, well, actually, you know what? It's not a very long time goal, I guess, if he's only 27 when he did it, but. <laughs> Um, there were actually, again, as we get to it, mm-hmm. it took years of preparation work to get right. to this point. It's not something that you just decide to do next weekend or something like that. It's, uh, it's, it's not that easy. But where should we, uh, where should we start, Scott? There are so many fascinating things to talk about. 
let's start with the history. I mean, I think okay. we should step through the Jalopnik article almost as it is because it says it does seem to lay it out very concisely. And I've added a bunch of stuff here. So I've, okay, great. I've looked up some uh, some information about the the previous record holders. All right, so way back in 1933, mm-hmm. the first guy to ever really do this. Now, outside of remember the guy that. Um, Horatio, the, the Horatio's Drive story yeah, that yeah, took, yeah. A, was it weeks or I can't remember how long. Yes. I, I was going to look that up and I can't remember now. Oh, we did a podcast on that. Oh, we earlier. did a full podcast. Mm-hmm. But, um, but this guy in 1933, his name is Ed Cannonball Baker. He jumped into his vehicle and just did this trip in, uh, in 53 hours and 30 minutes. And that's an average of 50 miles per hour. Mm-hmm. He had a car called the Blue Streak that he did it. But you have to remember that in 1933, there was no interstate highway system at this point. So this mm-hmm. record is actually very, very impressive that he made it across the, the country in 53 hours and 30 minutes. Without that many uh, straight shots, the interstate completely changed the way people are able to drive. And uh, just just to underline how special this time is, uh, Mr. Baker's record remained unbroken for 40 years, 40 years. So four decades, this record just sits on the books and, and, and no one, you know, no one captures it. I, I don't know how many times it was attempted, uh, after 1933, but, um, of course, Ed Cannonball Baker then lends his name to the, uh, the Cannonball Run. Um, but in the 1970s, so after 40 years of, uh, laying kind of dormant, I guess, this yeah. record, a guy named Brock Yates, um, who was a, a race car driver and also a contributor to Car and Driver, uh, creates something that's called the Cannonball Baker Sea to Shining Sea Memorial Trophy Dash. And uh, that's also known as the Cannonball Run. Yeah, that's its street name. It's got an interesting beginning here because uh, Brock Yates uh, created this thing to protest highway speed limits. <laughs> Seems fitting, doesn't it? That makes sense, I guess. Uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, so this record, you know, in the 1970s, was continually lowered and lowered and lowered until about 1979 when uh, the final, this is actually the final year, of the uh, the Cannonball Run, the actual Cannonball Run, right, the official one. Yeah, a guy named uh, Dave Heinz and Dave Yarborough, a couple of Daves, mm-hmm. broke the record um, with a time of 32 hours and 51 minutes in an in a Jaguar XJS. Now, again, that record, um, again, that was the last time for the Cannonball Run to be made, and it was right. 1979, and you know the whole thing disbanded, I guess. But then something called the U.S. Express took its place for a short amount of time. Acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. But We Loved is a podcast about queer history. I'm Jordan Gonsalves, your host. Growing up, I thought being gay was the worst thing I could ever be. The gay history I learned was tragic. Jerry had died of AIDS, and it's like, what is happening? It was survival. That's why it's called survival sex. But as I interviewed queer elders, I realized there was another history that I had never been taught, a history of courage and perseverance. I wanted to take control of my story and not be ashamed of it. And it was a history full of love. The joy we found in saying husband again and again and again was incredible. And while learning this new queer history from my elders, I realized they had so much wisdom to pass down. The key is to understanding yourself, learning to love and embrace yourself. For My Heart Podcasts, I'm Jordan Gonsalves, and this is But We Loved. Listen to But We Loved on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor! Gene, we'll boot it! Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man, Marie's a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Gene. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Right, and this was uh, when two guys, Doug Turner and David Deem, drove a Ferrari 308 across the country. Uh, it took about just over 32 hours, 32 hours and seven minutes. That yeah. was 1983. Yeah, and that was actually the final U.S. Express when they broke that record. Because mm-hmm. um, So from 1979 to 1983, it was this race called the U.S. Express. And uh, so that was the final time that that one was, was run. And that record then. So the 1983 record, yeah, yeah. How long did that one last? Uh, more than 20 years, all the way up to 2006. See, I find that amazing that at that point in history, that more people would be attempting to break that record. That, yeah, uh, it would be broken at some point, but it lasted all the way until 2006 when Alex Roy made his uh, infamous trip. Now, I guess in 31 hours and four minutes, mm-hmm. and he was in again. I said in the uh, 2000 BMW M5. And, uh, again, he's the author of the book called The Driver. Uh, but he, this is important here, he waited a full year to report his record run. He waited one year. And, that, and the reason is because he knew that he was breaking literally thousands of laws across mm-hmm. every state that he crossed. <laughs> right, yeah. To, to, do this, uh, to do this run in 31 hours and four minutes. And he had extra stuff going on in his car. He had things like night vision. Mm-hmm. Uh, radar jammers and all kinds of stuff. That, right, radar detectors, yeah, jammers, yeah. Yeah. extra fuel, which, uh, as we see, is a big thing. Uh, let's see, also probably supplies on board for him, so you had to have food. Oh, water. sure, yeah, yeah, he had all kinds of stuff. So, so, anyways, you can read all about his run also, but also happening in 2006, and I find this kind of an interesting side note to this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Before Alex Roy reported his, his run of, of 31 hours and four minutes, a couple of guys... Across the uh, across the country in 31 hours and 59 minutes and made it public right away. Uh, um, so then they were they were quickly discounted as having the record because Alex you know came out and said well we've we've done ours or we we did ours faster. But the guys that did it in 2006 that were slightly slower were Richard Rawlings, the guy from Fast and uh, Fast and Loud, you know, uh-huh, television yeah, show, yeah. and Dennis Collins, a friend of his, you know, and uh, also a car enthusiast. Mm-hmm. Um, Again, they, they broke this record in another Ferrari. It was a 550 Marinello. And the two of them actually protested Roy's time, saying that uh, he, he didn't follow the intended route. It was They were saying that it wasn't valid. And the way that, I guess, Roy's route was plotted was, you know, things like receipts and, um, you know, like to- receipts for tolls, things like that, receipts right, for yeah. fuel at certain places. And he could plot his, his track across. And, you know, um, he'd be able to prove that he was where he was when he said he was there. Exactly right. And this is back in 2006. So GPS was available at that time, but he didn't yeah. choose to use it. Well, in 2013, when Ed decided to make his run, he did use GPS, which we'll talk about as well. OK, but um, it did. Again, it took him 28 hours and 50 minutes, which, of course, everybody protests and says there's no way that he could have done it in that amount of time. Right. They're saying it's impossible yeah that's right just the numbers don't work and he did it not alone as we mentioned he did it with a guy named dave black who was his co-driver um and also a guy named dan huang h-u-a-n-g mm-hmm. and he was a passenger spotter um kind of the you know calculating the fuel consumption yeah that kind of thing. keeping everybody awake in the car it was a critical role it really was but he was not a driver it was uh the drivers were ed and dave um so all right now the previous record holder alex roy um, I find it interesting that he waited a full year to, uh, to, to mention this. You know, so the, uh, the statute of limitations was, was expired so that right, he couldn't right. be, uh, prosecuted for any of the, uh, the, the laws that he might have broken in those states by traveling so fast. Well, here we are just, you know, back in 2013, three weeks after the record run, that's when Ed comes out with his, uh, you know, guess what I just did. Yeah. It's yeah. three weeks. So, I mean, that's pretty bold. As far as I know, 
no one, you know, no one hauled him into court or anything like that or into jail, I guess. Yeah. After the trip. Yeah, I see what you're saying. And we should establish you and I are not uh, legal experts on the varying laws of the states that uh, they drove through, that the team drove through. But uh, it seems like a lot of work to hunt somebody down in a different state. For speeding. I guess so. But the problem with this is that he has produced this uh, this record, this GPS record of where he was and how fast he was going. Yeah, that could be incriminating. That's for that, sure. I mean, that definitely is uh, is proof that he did it. He would have to have some uh, some kind of fancy defense. I guess so. And I ho- hope the judge is a car fan. Well, see, the defense would be, uh, oh, that wasn't me or, you know, something like that. And then <laughs> and then your record wouldn't be valid. Right. Because yeah. say, well, if that wasn't you, then you don't have the record. It's you know, tricky. It, it would be very tricky. But, you know, again, he wanted to do this for a very long time. And he decided when he when he got serious with this, he was speculating for several years. You know, uh, where would I drive? Uh, what do I need to bring with me? And when he really started to buckle down, he knew immediately the first thing you have to find is the car. Yeah. So the initial thought was he was going to go with a Ferrari 612. And he decided that the gas mileage would have been terrible in that. And then he thought, well, I'm going to go with a Bentley mm-hmm. uh, because a Bentley would be perfect for, for this type of trip. It's a it's a transcontinental cruiser and vehicle. It's a GT car. Yeah. You um, want the V8. Yeah. He says you want the V8 for gas mileage, but uh, there's just no way. Right. I mean, it's still still too expensive at this point. Um, so the author said, well, why not like, uh, you know, something that would be like, um, kind of under the radar, I guess, you know, like an understated law breaking vehicle, right? Something that you could easily get in and out of town in without anybody really looking, you know, twice at your car. Right. He uh, plugs his CTSV wagon. Yeah. Which it makes pretty good sense. Yeah, really. It's that's not, not, a, it's not a bad choice. A wagon, right? It's got lots of space, uh, for, for people and supplies and everything. But, uh, the guy says, you know, the guy, Ed says, um, you need active suspension and, the author said, well, what's that for? And he said, well, you have to have active suspension for the fuel tanks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because these you won't know this if you look at the CL55, uh, but the fuel tanks, there are two extra ones. They're both 22 gallons. Uh, and this, this is a Mercedes already has a 23 gallon tank that just is factory from the car. Right. Yeah. So this gives us a combined total of what 67 gallons yep right so 67 gallons is a lot of fuel and it's a lot of weight yeah and the weight that's the concern right it weighs 400 pounds when it's fully loaded with fuel so that means that uh that means that the active suspension is required in order to keep something like this from dragging its rear end all the way across the united right, that's states 400 pounds of just gas exactly it's incredible isn't it all right so it's not just the fuel though there's other stuff going on there yeah. as we mentioned now this is now some of this uh, Roy, Alex Roy had some of it. He didn't. And, mm-hmm. and he had other things that, that Ed didn't. So, you know, it's kind of a back and forth. It's just, you decide what you take, right? All right. So he had a, um, so Ed had a police scanner, two mm-hmm. Garmin GPS units with traffic capabilities. You know what? Just before we keep, keep going on this list. Yeah. This is all the stuff that I saw laid out on the front dash of this car. Oh, and, yeah, yeah. And if you want to see a photo of that, you can go online and find a photo of the interior of this car, and you won't – you would be blown away. It looks like a James Bond car or something with all the Right, cameras. yeah, and they're uh, they're stuck all around. Like, it, it, it uh, extends the console. The best way to put it is the console seems to extend to the shotgun seat where the dash would be. That's where you see a CB radio and yeah, some other stuff. There's stuff just mounted – it seems like, you know, just – haphazardly on the dash but it's not it's all planned out very carefully where it is uh you know so so that the driver and the passenger can access all this stuff it's a bunch of bunch of cradles is what i saw because the devices right. were removed but but um there are two iphone chargers and cradles to run apps like trapster um an ipad charger and cradle of course and three radar detectors there's also a switch to kill the rear lights a switch mm-hmm. to activate the fuel tanks and a professionally installed switch panel in the center stack that controls everything there's also a CB radio, um, complete with a giant trunk-mounted antenna, as they say, uh-huh. <laughs> which I don't think was on the car at the time. They've taken that off. Uh, there are also two laser jammers, and Ed had somebody working on a radar jammer, but at the time of his run, the radar jammer wasn't ready, but he did have the laser jammers. And in some cases, for some people, this might sound like he's being redundant, but when you're, when you're off and you've taken that shot, once you're on the cannonball run, you have to keep going. So if something breaks, you have to have that redundancy so that it doesn't mess up uh, your record attempt. Absolutely. And and so keeping the car running was critical as well. You know, it just wasn't just a matter of, you know, having enough fuel. 
Um, he had a final service done to the vehicle that that alone cost him cost him nine thousand dollars. And I'll tell you what he did during that final service that yeah. cost nine grand. I mean, it was the works. That includes new fluids, new filters, new tires, new brake pads and rotors, new control arm bushings, new spark plugs, a new battery, new struts, all in a car that already had one hundred and fifteen thousand miles on it. So it's a, a seasoned vehicle. You know, it's probably just broken in, really, for a Mercedes. But right. um, it's it's nef- definitely not a brand-new vehicle that he's blowing this kind of money on. And it's it's not just that. I mean, all that other stuff that we mentioned above was not included in that $9,000. That's additional money that's been dumped into this car. Oh, yeah. And Ed, said, Ed when asked about how much that stuff costs, said he didn't really want to guess. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. And so all this goes back to the preparation. Because he said the hardest part about this entire trip is the preparation. Now, you would think... As the author says, you would think that, you know, driving cross country, you know, sure. at, at top speed with your foot on the floor the entire time would be the hardest part. No. Nope. Or staying awake for 20, more than 24 hours would be the hardest part. Because nope. they, they all did. They stayed yeah. awake for the full 29 hours. Um, you would think that, you know, watching for police as you're traveling through these, these states at, you know, breakneck speeds would be the hardest part because you would just be on edge the whole time. You'd be so nervous. It's, yeah. they said that wasn't the hardest part. The hardest part was the prep work. So, there's just that much that goes into this whole thing. Yeah, because every year, Alex uh, Roy hears about numerous attempts to break the record that uh, the the record that is current that was currently standing, but nobody was coming close. No, no, no. So, so then here comes Ed with his uh, his heavily modified Mercedes, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, they already know about him. They already know that he's going to make this attempt, or they know that he has made the attempt, or whatever. So every, these guys all kind of run in a in a tight circle. They all know of each other. They all know what the other one's up to, mostly. Sure. And I'm sure there's some secrets, but they know what's happening, and they know each other. And they, I think they, uh, as they said, they're kind of frenemies with each other. They uh, they get along fine enough, and they can talk about things, but they argue over whether or not the last run was valid, why it's not. Sure. Why their run should count and the other guys shouldn't, that type of thing. So yeah, uh, or mistakes that they made or mistakes they think somebody else made. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, it's rare that someone says, like, oh, yeah, you bested me and, uh, and, and it was a good, it was a good, good sport, right? <laughs> right, yeah. So, it's not a, it's not a nice contest. <laughs> no. Not, not a contest to be the nicest person. No, no, everybody wants to win, right? Sure. So, so Ed says that, you know, between the 67 gallon gas tank and the CL55's upper 13s fuel economy, as he puts it, Mm-hmm. Uh, which isn't all that great, no. by the way. He says he's able to travel more than 800 miles between fuel stops. That's an incredible range, 800 miles. Can you imagine that, you know, mm-hmm. plotting out gas stations 800 miles away? Yeah, and they had to. They also had to remove the uh, rear seat on the driver's side to get to the place to put the spare tire. Yeah, so, because the, the trunk was, you know, full, full of fuel of gas, at that point. Yeah. Yeah. And they said that, you know, because of that, um, you know, the uh, – the whole car always smelled like a gas pump. And we have to... It's always. True. And, yeah. you know, inside and out. If you were anywhere near it... You smell the gas. You, you smelled fuel. And they said, you know, that's just one of the downsides of having... Of carrying 67 gallons of fuel in three tanks and, and trying to make this and, run. And, you know, you have to be careful when you're driving that way, too, because the last thing you want is an accident, especially when you've got that much potentially combustible stuff. Oh, absolutely. I, I've got to tell you, one of my favorite parts of this story, though, is is... The CB radio. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I just love it because it sounds like it sounds like something that would happen in a movie, you know, in yeah, a road trip movie. It, it kind of does, but they really did it. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature. And of course, we'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. But We Loved is a podcast about queer history. I'm Jordan Gonsalves, your host. Growing up, I thought being gay was the worst thing I could ever be. 
the gay history I learned was tragic. Jerry had died of AIDS, and it's like, what is happening? It was survival. That's why it's called survival sex. But as I interviewed queer elders, I realized there was another history that I had never been taught, a history of courage and perseverance. I wanted to take control of my story and not be ashamed of it. And it was a history full of love. The joy we found in saying husband again and again and again was incredible. And while learning this new queer history from my elders, I realized they had so much wisdom to pass down. The key is to understanding yourself, learning to love and embrace yourself. For My Heart Podcasts, I'm Jordan Gonsalves, and this is But We Loved. Listen to But We Loved on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. Oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed, And to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. All right, so I know you guys are hearing the the descriptions of the different bells and whistles, and you're saying Radar Jammer, that makes sense. Uh, GPS, that makes sense. But why CB Radio? Here's why. Because, they, you know, they'd be on play, uh, in roads where there were two lanes, right? Mm-hmm. And both would be taken up by tractor trailers. So they would pose as other truckers to get the trucks to move. Pretty smart. Yeah. Uh, specifically, I'll, I'll go ahead and quote Ed here. He said, if two trucks were next to one another, we called one of them. Uh, FedEx, this is King Trucking. I'm right next to you. Can you tap your brakes so I can get by? When we sped past, they probably saw the huge antenna on my trunk and got really mad. That's <laughs> yeah, hilarious. Yeah, but so what? I mean, by that point, they're 10 miles down the road. That's really. true, yeah. Honestly, I mean, they were they were flying across the country. So, you know, things like this, it's that little edge that you need in order to to make this work. And, you know, that that sure does beat, like, trying to pass on the, on the uh, shoulder or something like right, that. Something yeah. that's terribly dangerous. Um, not that, you know, driving fast isn't dangerous, but even more so, you know, if you're if you're hanging two wheels off into the dirt trying to get around a car going 100 miles an hour. Yeah, that's not um, cool. It's definitely not cool. But there was more than just all that stuff going on, too. I mean, he had loaded the car with nutrition bars, energy drinks. Sure. And uh, he's, he's got a brand name here, Blue Blue Donkey Ice Coffee uh-huh. is, uh, is what he was, uh, the drink of choice, I guess. <laughs> and um, he, as we said earlier, he hired a GPS tracking company to document every single move that the car made all the way across. So at you know, numerous times, uh, every, you know, couple of minutes, this thing was documenting the address, where he was, the speed, you know, all that stuff is calculated and it comes up to like a, a 218 page document, I think, as mm-hmm. we'll find out later. But, um, oh, we also brought along, <laughs> this is, uh, this is the downside of the whole trip, I guess, right? Yeah. Then. You got to bring a bunch of guys in the car. You got to bring along extra <sighs> empty bottles and bedpans just in case you have to, uh, you know, go to the bathroom on the go. Because they're not pulling over for bathroom stuff. Again, you can't stop. Yeah, this no. is not that kind of trip. No, this is uh, just about just flat out go. And if you got to go in between that 800 mile stop, yeah, tough luck. Here's your bottle. So he found the car. He modified the car uh, in a very clever way at great expense. He planned the route. He planned documentation of the route, and he accepted uh, the. He emotionally accepted the uh, possibility of having to go on the go, as it were. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had one big, big obstacle between him and the newest record for the Cannonball Run, and that's that he had to find other people crazy enough to get in the car with him and try this. Oh, this is like the world's most dangerous job, really. I mean, it's it's got to be 
a huge favor that you're asking somebody to do something like this. They've got to be driven like you to want to break the record to be part of something like that. As the author put it, when he contacted me, because he did contact him with about six weeks to go. Yeah, he called Doug. Yeah, he called the uh, the author of this article and said, I'd like you to be my co-driver, kind of sheepishly, he asked him, you know. And the the author said, well, it's it, it has always been a, a dream of mine to do it. But right mm-hmm. now, um, I just can't take the liability, the legal risk right now. It's just not the right time for me to do something like this. Maybe you know, earlier or maybe later in life, but right. but not right now. I just Which can't is do it. a common concern. Yeah, and, and a lot of other drivers, you know, potential drivers, turned him down for this. You know, they said, I, I just can't do it right now for whatever reason. So here we are like two weeks before the record run, and he's all alone. There's, uh, there's, there's no one else to go with him, and he can't do it alone. You can't drive 29 hours alone. Mm-hmm. And so as the clock is ticking... He was able to recruit a co-driver who he knew before, uh, Dave Black, who was actually customer at the Lamborghini dealership. Mm-hmm, that's right. And um, he also you know, had to find a passenger. So he's mm-hmm. still got one more slot to fill and time is running out, as we said. You know, I mean, this is still just a, just a couple of weeks beforehand when he found the co-driver. He, he can't <laughs> he can't find a passenger. He can't find somebody that's yeah. willing to take on that role. So he contacts a guy via Facebook. Uh, somebody, somebody that um, I, I think he he barely knew. It's kind of like a friend of a friend type thing, really. Right. Yeah. But, but somebody who you know, had an interest in this kind of thing. Uh, this was uh, Dan. Dan. Uh, Dan Huang, uh, yeah. Georgia Tech grad. And uh, the the way Doug describes this is great. He says uh, he's a young Georgia Tech grad with a love of cars and a fairly open schedule. And this quote from Dan. Well, he has to because yeah. he contacted him, or when he finally agreed to do this, it was less than twenty four hours before. The run was to be made. Mm-hmm. So that's incre- I mean, that's how fast this thing was happening. So, so you know, twenty four less than twenty four hours later, Dan is inside this car, uh, as they say, sharing the back seat with the spare tire because we mentioned you know the the space issues, um, and they're headed up the East Coast, ready to go to the starting line. And I think they're going to make a practice run out of Manhattan because they got to find the fastest way to leave Manhattan yeah. on the day of the attempt. And and they're they're going through different routes and, and they're trying different apps, I guess. And one that uh, the co-driver gave them didn't work out so well. Ouch. Uh, but they, you know, they weren't necessarily ready yet. As you said, they still had to do the the test run stuff. And, and they got pulled over by the yep. NYPD. Yep. And while they were trying to find the best way out of Manhattan, uh, they got pulled over for, what was it, a, a ride on red? No, they were going the wrong way on a one-way street because the app told them to turn, you know, I don't know if it was left or right or whatever, oh. uh, but, the, but the app that David suggested... <laughs> Uh, made them go the wrong way in this one-way street, and so so it's not a great start to the whole oh, thing. You know what it was though? Uh, it was both. They not only made a right turn on red, but then they also made it onto the wrong way of oh, a one-way street. My apologies, Ben. No, I didn't no, no, read no, the no. earlier part it's there, but uh, so it's, yeah, it's, it's two two broken laws. Only in one, got a uh, warning. N- not bad. Yeah, they only got a warning. Not bad. But here's the thing. After a rough start like that, and after this uh, this kind of like, here's what we're going to do, and probably like just furious, fast planning, both the, the co-driver and the passenger were having second doubts up until the point when they actually left the garage uh, to start this whole run. They were deciding, they were actually thinking to themselves, I've got everything in my backpack right now. All I have to do is say, I'm done, and walk away. Yeah, you can see both Dan and Dave uh, considered briefly, you know, I could just go to LaGuardia. And go home. Yeah, and it would be that quick. And they both considered it right up to the moment they left the garage. Because so the day they attempted this, when they were leaving Manhattan, it was uh, it was Saturday, October nineteenth, and it was an evening, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, right before a hair before ten p.m., like nine fifty six. All right, and they decided that they were going to do the official, and as you always would, I guess in this mm-hmm. case, you you would do the official Cannonball Run, which leaves from a place called the Red Ball Garage in Manhattan which is in, I believe, Midtown Manhattan, yep. and all the way to a specific hotel that we'll tell you about in just a minute, but um, all the way in Redondo Beach. So the thing is that they, they left, you know, they had this route planned out or plotted out or at least somewhat plotted out. As soon as they leave the Red Ball Garage, they get stuck in traffic for 15 minutes, uh, an initial 15-minute tie-up trying to get out of Manhattan. That had to have been so frustrating because they're anticipating just flying out of town and getting on the road. And here you are stuck in traffic. It's like when you're trying to get to the airport or something and you yeah. can't make it there. Oh, yeah, yeah. Or when you're trying to get to work and a Honda Odyssey appears out of nowhere. I mean, we've all been there. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, what do you do? Do you just stop at that point and say, like, let's try tomorrow because uh, maybe tomorrow's a better day? But I think 
that was all part of the plan too. You leave on a Saturday because of traffic conditions, because right. you know, as you approach different cities, you know where you're going to be at what time roughly, and uh, and all that is plotted out. So I think it's critical that they decided they left just before 10 p.m. on Saturday mm-hmm. in order to make this whole thing work. And they picked up speed pretty quickly too. Uh, the the author here has checked out the telemetry and the documentation they have, and. New Jersey went quickly. He says Pennsylvania went by really quickly. Ohio must have been a blur. And Ed says, I don't even remember Indiana. So that's really, really fast, I'm sure. Yeah. I don't have any idea what speed he was traveling through Indiana or anything like that. I haven't looked at the uh, GPS data. But um, I do want to point out that, you know, earlier we mentioned some stuff that Alex Roy had that they didn't have. Right, yeah. And they said that they didn't have night vision mm. like Alex Roy did, which sounds kind of cool, right? Uh, yeah, it Driving sounds night vision. And they were supposed to have a police scanner. Yeah, but they didn't have that. Mm. And uh, and they said all of the detection devices that they did have were behaving perfectly. There was a little bit of trouble when they were leaving New York City. There was some uh, some noise, I guess, causing some problems. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and once they got out of the city, you know, the uh, all the devices, the detection devices, the CB was working fine. The GPS units were, were plotting because he had two. They were plotting the exact same course. Everything was working out just perfectly once they got out of the city. Mm-hmm. And then they they started building uh, the rest of their team because th- I, I would say that their their core team, the three guys, right, mm-hmm. um, Ed and Dan and Dave, those guys all stay for the entirety of the trip, but. The actual team, the whole team is much bigger because they would have friends along the way who would be their lead car, which is one of the most important things you can have in this uh, in this event. I find this so fascinating. They, they can do this. They've, they've plotted out the trip with um, something called lead cars, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. along the way so that here's here's what happens. Um, you know, friends, friends of Ed's or Dave's who live along the, along the route volunteer their time to get on the highway a couple of hours before. Their car came barreling through town, as they yeah, say. Yeah, like 150, 200 miles ahead. Yeah, yeah. So they're like that far ahead. And what they do is their job is to just drive at, at the uh, speed limit and check for police, mm-hmm. for construction, for any kind of traffic tie-ups that might be a problem. Yeah, anything that could come up. Anything at all. If there's a farm tractor hauling hay across the road or whatever, they're going to report it. And at least they'll mark it and they'll know to expect something around the next turn. And uh, And this works really, really well. And so it, it takes not just, you know, the, the guys in the car, as you said, it's this other, this, this bigger team that's, that's yeah. all across the nation. Really. Yeah, the support team. So mm-hmm. it's crazy because just, just to give some perspective on this, before dawn, they reached St. Louis. <laughs> that's right. That's, before dawn. That's pretty were, amazing. Yeah. And, uh, so, you know, they continued, uh, they continued on the route. And by the time they had already left Ohio, they knew that their average speed, if they could just maintain what they were doing, they would at least tie Alex Roy's record, which yeah. is a big deal. But in Texas, uh, Ed got a call from one of his friends back here in Atlanta mm-hmm. who was tracking the group, right? Yeah, tracking the progress. And he said, and this is really exciting to everybody, he said, if you travel from this point on the speed limit for the entire remainder of the trip, all the way to Redondo Beach, you're going to break Roy's record. And they still had 1,200 miles to go. So 1,200 miles. At the speed limit, you're going to break the record. So that's great news, right? And they're not intending to drive at the speed limit the rest of the way. You know that. Right, yeah. They just wanted to beat the record by as much as possible. And so once you get out into some of the less densely populated areas of the U.S., Arizona, New Mexico, they pick the perfect empty highways. Yeah, and that's the time when you really let it go. And because they had those extra fuel tanks, that meant that they could cruise at those really, really high speeds right. without much problem at all. I mean, it would just eat up the fuel in the standard tank almost immediately. But they had all this extra fuel. Remember, 67 gallons of fuel. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also uh, had their had the car modified so they could fill uh, fill the gas tanks with two pumps at the same time. Ah, very smart. Yeah. Very smart. So, so when they do have to stop for fuel. It kind of minimizes the time that they have to be uh, to have to be parked at the gas station because I'm sure that's maddening when you're just standing at the fuel pump trying to trying to get that fuel to going a little bit faster. Right. And uh, and the you know the clock keeps ticking. So if you picture this, uh, if there are any gamers uh, who listen to the show, if you picture this like a video game, then the toughest level of this game, the toughest leg of the race, is California. Mm-hmm. Is uh, I think Ed said the second half is is the real race. Yeah, I've heard that. That's what he said. Um, because 
the problem was they reached Southern California just as the sun was setting. And right. that meant that they were they were driving into this blinding glare the whole time, and because sure. it was downhill, uh, you know, they're headed, uh, you know, into I guess down towards uh, well sea level. Yeah, um, they're having difficulty seeing because there's no like, um, there's, there's no, no mountains. There's yeah, nothing, nothing to, to give shade you, them. Nothing to give you any kind of break. You know, no no yeah. shade break at all in this whole in this whole ride. So uh, they said the speed slowed down at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they said because they had been driving for so long, delirium was setting in. They also hadn't slept. Yeah. Yeah. And there was a, a near miss. They almost had an accident in California. There was a, a tractor trailer that cut in front of them. And they said that two, two of the wheels left the pavement at that point. Yeah. Uh, which would be awful scary, I guess, you know, considering the speeds that they're traveling. Um, so, you know, the whole team gets kind of on edge and a little shaky. They're thinking that, I, I mean, even though they're this close, they're, they're still thinking, we might not make it. And one of Ed's concerns was, you know, if we could just last this last few hours without, you know, the car catching on fire. Right, yeah. If it doesn't catch on fire, we're going to make it. So they had a chance here. They had a choice, maybe is a better way to say it. Mm-hmm. They could slow down, just speed limit to the finish line, and they'd still have a record. Mm-hmm. They had already beaten the previous record, or they could keep going. You know what I mean? Like, uh, who cares if uh, the police find us? We'll try to avoid them, and let's keep the pedal to the floor and make a record that no one can ever break. Yeah, that's the point. Is that you know you've you've broken it now, but let's uh, let's make it let's push it even farther, and make it even more difficult for the next team to break it. And so they decide to keep the pedal to the metal, to push it, and make this unbeatable record. And at eleven forty six p.m. on Sunday, October twentieth. They reach Redondo Beach, California. Yeah, the Portofino Hotel, which is the again the the original Cannonball Run finish line. And uh, this is kind of funny. When they pulled in, no one at the hotel had heard of the Cannonball Run ever before because these guys are probably celebrating. You know, yeah. they're probably out out of the car. They're you know they they probably look like hell. You know, the car is probably all beat up and covered with bugs. And I think there was even you know a shot where you know one of the uh, the, the valet. Yeah, well, the valet. Yeah, he's looking at the car, and you know that they're. Well, the the thing I was going to get to is that maybe the head I think the headlamp is broken. Um, the car looks a little oh, bit yeah, beat up, yeah. you know. So it's it's rough. Well, the uh, the the fog lamp, anyways, is broken. Mm-hmm. Uh, but these guys look a little rough, you know. The cars cover the bugs. They're celebrating something, but no one really knows what. They just hadn't heard of this race, which is kind of funny because this is a this is like a, the classic finishing line for uh, the the Trans American Run. I mean, you would think that somebody there, you know, somebody even on the staff would know about it. But yeah, they, you would think it's it's strange, and if you already are sleep deprived. You've been in one of the most intense road trips of your life. This has to feel pretty surreal. Uh, they only stopped for fuel three times, Scott. Three times. That's not bad at all. Now, I was looking at, you know, the, uh, the GPS screens. Uh-huh. And, uh, this is under kind of like the, uh, the proof section, I guess, you know, where they can prove that they did this really. The time stopped is only 46 minutes. So the moving time is 28 hours and four minutes. That's, that's incredible for a total time of 28 hours and 50 minutes. If they stop for fuel three times and only spent 46 minutes yeah. uh, doing that, that's pretty remarkable. I mean, that's really, really fast to fill up 67 gallons of fuel each time. Um, as we said, you know, they can use two pumps. So it, it takes essentially just as long as it does to fill up a, um, a standard a standard fuel tank mm-hmm. um, in, the, in that way. They said, that, you know, it doesn't take a lot longer than just filling up the regular Mercedes fuel tank. Um, but But the thing is that. Having the, the dual GPS systems and having this company that, you know, would track the, this, you know, the firm that he hired to track him across the United States proves invaluable, I guess, because it really does show that he did it by the books. You know, he went the, the specified route. He, uh, he you know, the, the speeds he achieved, the time that they stopped, all that stuff is, is very well documented as compared to, you know, the other guys that did it with um, with toll tickets or punch time clocks or or gas receipts and log right. books that they yeah. kept themselves because – um, I don't know. I mean, it would be difficult to, to fake any of that stuff, but I guess that it could be done. Yeah, I guess it is possible, but it seems so incredibly inconvenient. It's very unnecessary. Un- it's very unlikely also. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I really don't think any of the other guys have done that. I don't, I, I wouldn't accuse anybody of doing anything like that. And maybe the other drivers would, the other teams would. Well, that's apparently that's part of how they talk to each other. <laughs> yeah, that's right. They say it's a club of men that's, it's almost entirely all men. And I think, you know, there have been a few females in there that have, that have tempted it, but. And they um, don't believe anybody else. No, no, no. They always think that the other guy is, as they put, full of crap. 
every time they report one of these, they say there's just no way that it happened because, uh, you know, the time that I set last time, that's the best time that you're ever going to get. Uh, took a different route, for example, or somehow fudged their time, mm-hmm. you know, uh, or like a technicality of some sort. Yeah, but honestly, this uh, this GPS record is very clear. It's very concise. It's very complete. I mean, it's uh, it's 218 pages long for this this log of this trip. Um, I suppose I don't I don't I doubt if you could get your hands on it. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. sure that's something that Ed hangs on to. But um, anyways, it's a it's a fascinating story, and there's a there's a lot to um, you know the history of this whole run too. Right. Uh, so there's way more than we're giving you here. We're just trying to uh, to hit the high points and let you know that you know. This record is, as far as I know, the record still stands, but that's maybe one of the most interesting things, Ben, mm-hmm. is that if they're adhering to Alex Roy's philosophy of thought, maybe this record's already been broken again, and we don't know about it yet. Yeah, it is just possible. Uh, and, you know, that means that it's possible that somebody listening to the show now may be the real record holder. Or on their way to make the record. Maybe they'll listen to car stuff as they break the record, but I doubt it. So I doubt it. Yeah, there's a lot going on in the car when you're doing this, I think. For that full 29 hours, I bet you're pretty active, trying to uh, trying to jam different radar systems and... and uh, yeah, you're continually talking. Monitoring the CBs and, you know, exactly right. You're, you're plotting everything. So anyways, it's a, it's a fascinating story. It's a pretty interesting um, history to the whole thing. I mean, yeah. I, I really would like to dig in deeper to some of the previous, you know, record attempts and how they did it. Because, mm-hmm. you know, go back 60 years, 70 years, maybe even, I wonder how different it was back then compared to what it is like, what's like now. Because imagine trying to evade the police when, you know, it's like 1933. Right. Yeah. You're trying to travel, you know, well, it's 50 miles per hour. I'm sure he went 100 miles per hour several times. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder what it was like trying to uh, trying to pick your way across the country at that time in, in history. You know, I have, I have no idea because there had to be so many moments where roads were impassable. Yeah, you know? or no signs. You know, like uh, there's, yeah. there's no signs for which direction you're going. You pretty much had to rely on, you know, the, the, the maps that you had, which were probably incomplete. And people navigated by landmarks. Just go out where the old Collins place used to be and take a left about a half mile down. Uh, and if you see the field where the old Johnson place used to be, you've gone too far. Not to mention reliability concerns and all that stuff. I mean, it's just, uh, it's, it, it could be a nightmare, I guess, but uh, yeah. it would be, it would be interesting to read about that. I'd love to, to read about Edwin Cannonball Baker and his run. Yes. Uh, we would also like to follow up on some of the stories that we, we found while we were looking at this. So there might be some more podcasting on this topic in the future uh, but for now we're going to head out if you want to learn more about the cannonball run check out our podcast uh, we have some other episodes about historical road trips that are um, amazing the stories not necessarily our podcast did we also talk about the gumball rally i think we did we did yeah we yeah. did the gumball rally as well you can find all of those and every episode we've ever done on carstuffshow.com uh, we're also on facebook and twitter where you can see a bunch of news stories that don't may not make it to the air uh, and if you have an idea for an episode we'd love to hear from you uh, write to us at carstuff at howstuffworks.com For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. 
As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really needs your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.